How does God long for us to see him? Chip Ingram is our guest this week discussing his passion to help people know the real God. It's all in episode 85 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 85 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host. And this week we're talking with Chip Ingram. Chip is the senior pastor of Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, California, the CEO and teaching pastor of Living on the Edge, an international teaching and discipleship ministry. And over the last 25 years, Chip has pastored churches ranging from 500 to 5,000. We talked to Chip about the seven attributes of God that he believes will most shape our relationship with him. He talks about it in his new book, The Real God. And now, here's our conversation with Chip Ingram. Well, Chip, it is such a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Great to be with you, Andrew. This is really fun. It is fun, and it's it's a in-studio interview. I do so many on Skype and talk to people that way, and so it's so fun to see you here across the table, and it's just like we're having a chat, and people get to listen in. Well, we have a great, great mutual friend, and I think he's your boss, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and so get to come down and spend some time with Jerry and then learn from you guys is really neat. Yeah. And Chip, we wanted to talk to you today about a passion that has been on your heart throughout your ministry uh, that you've been writing on and tells a story of how God began to create in your heart a desire to connect people, to help people know God better. Well, I didn't grow up in a Bible teaching church. In fact, I kind of abandoned a church and was disillusioned. And uh, after I came to know the Lord about three years later, three and a half, uh, I was on a... uh, Christian basketball team sharing Christ at halftime. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then so about five years in an Australian team, I was in grad school, really needed a point guard. And so a guy pulled a muscle and uh, they were awesome guys and they could sing pretty well, but their basketball back then was a little suspect. So they got a big guy from America and I was a point guard and we played all throughout the Orient. And so we're in Hong Kong and uh, there's this missionary and very interesting guy it was a Christian missionary in Alliance. And he had a church, they, the church would double as a library, and it was like on the 34th floor, and we were in these super high rises. And uh, we were, you know, just learning from him, and he, I think he sensed I had a little spiritual appetite, and took me aside and said, Chip, have you ever read this book? Because he had this wall, I mean, a huge wall of all these classic Christian paperbacks. He read one every day. He was a speed reader. The guy was brilliant. And uh, he pulled this little book called Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And, um, heck, I hadn't read all that many books about anything, but I said, no, I've never read that. He goes, well, um, you can read it while you're here and give it back to me when you're done. And so, you know, I took it, and um, it's on the attributes of God, and the the chapters are maybe three pages, you know, big chapters, four and a half pages. And I read it, i got to tell you, Andrew, my head hurt. And, And what I realized was I... Even though I was reading the Bible, I was a new Christian probably five years, and I was in a Bible study, and I was growing. This picture, this mental image of who I prayed to was so different than the God described by A.W. Tozer. I mean, I never even thought of his self-sufficiency, or I knew he was holy, but what's that really mean? Or uh, the one that revolutionized my life, I read a chapter, and it's on the goodness of God. And when I got done... I thought, if, if God is really like that, one is I didn't believe it. I thought God was a cosmic cop, 
and uh, his arms were crossed. And because this is how I grew up, and I thought he was down on me most of the time. And, and I'd experienced grace, and God had done amazing things, but no, I still had that performance orientation. So no matter how hard I tried, I was still, the thought that God, Tozer's words, finds holy pleasure in the happiness of his people, that the Lord is a sun and a shield, that he gives grace and glory, that no good thing would he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And um, to make the long story short, I, um, I read that book, and he said, you know what, you can keep it. I read a chapter of that book every week for the next 10 years, and then I read at least a chapter every week for another 10 years. And then I read I, the last 10 or 15 years. Um, I mean, I've read this book for like over 30 years. And so I got in the middle of writing this book, and I'm pretty soon it's like, okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. But, you know, have you ever just got this truth and you thought, I know this is true, but how do you get it from your head to your heart? I'm, mm. okay, he's really good. It's like I, I sort of get it and I believe it and I think, wow, and I have this freedom. And I just keep reverting back to the, the same old performance and down on myself or feeling guilty or self-righteous. And, and it was like, God, if you're really like this, how do you really change? And, you know, as I was studying and learning about how, you know, Romans 12, too, it's renewing your mind. And so I started on this journey. I, I mean, I'm a slow learner, so I'm like, I've read this book for like 15 or 20 years already. And so I decide, you know something, what if I flipped it? What is it about God that I don't believe or what's my warped view? And I wrote that on a card. In other words, like God only loves me when I pray, when I read my Bible, when I'm generous with my money, uh, when good things come out of my mouth. And when I'm being good all the time, I mean, and, and God is down on me when I don't do all those things perfectly down deep. That's what I believed. And then I flipped over the card and I wrote Tozer's definition of God's goodness. And underneath of it, I wrote down, um, Psalm 84, 11 that I quoted earlier. And so, um, I started there and I didn't try and memorize it, but I would read it over in the morning, read it over at night. And all of a sudden, then all, then all of a sudden it was, wait a second, if I believe God was good, like I was in a situation, I would take more risk. He, he's never going to withhold any good thing. So I started taking these risks. If I believe God was good, um, I don't have to be afraid. So I started, you know, kind of doing some stuff I'd never done before. If I really believe God is good and lavish and wants to help me, I ought to be more that way with my kids. And, and so one by one by one, I took each of those attributes and I would write the lie, like, for me, um, you know, I was always small and skinny and an overachiever. So I was a super intense, you know, trying to. So I pick a sport where you need to be big and played college basketball and then a few summers internationally. And um, but I had that that attitude, you know, that sort of the small, short little guy that has to bust it harder, get up earlier, work harder. And I always wanted to be someone else. I always wanted to be taller. Or, you know, I wish I could sing like someone. I wish I could. And the wisdom of God is that this is the classic definition is God does the best possible things by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. So in other mm. words, God's in Tozer's words, God's means or methods are as perfect uh, as his outcomes. And, and all of a sudden you realize, so when God was making me, he made me in the best possible way by the best possible means for the most possible people. And all of a sudden I realized I need to be six foot. I need to be kind of skinny. I need to have blue eyes. I need to process information the way I do. I needed to be in the family 
of a dad who was an alcoholic that taught me this, but also taught me discipline as a Marine. And, and all of a sudden, the wisdom of God, then I begin, I wrote on that card, nothing has ever come into my life that God didn't either decree or allow in his infinite and perfect wisdom for me. And then I flipped it over and I wrote, you know, um, Romans 11, 33 to 36. It talks about his ways are beyond finding out and, oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So, so you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm, my life changed. Wow. I mean, it was just, and so I kept doing that on these cards and I was at the end of, I think it was maybe, I had written a couple books for Moody and I was supposed to write three books for Baker and I'd written two. And I remember I was up a lake praying on a retreat with my wife and I had to decide, what are you going to write it on? And I don't know what it was. Uh, both my parents died of kind of weird stuff and my mom died really early. And I just had this overwhelming sense I happened to be reading Tozer's books. And, and I thought, I never dreamed I'd get to write a book. But, and, and no one's asked me to write any more after this. So if I could only write one book, if I, I, if I could only say one thing, what would I want to say? And um, as I sat on that dock and prayed and read Tozer's words, the most important thing about a man is what comes to his mind when he thinks God. And then what I realized was, you know, for, for about 20, 25 years, I kept telling people about Tozer and, and on the radio. And finally, a, a guy, an engineer, wrote. And he said, hey, look, Chip, I'm, I'm a longtime listener. Really love you, man. I have a master's degree. Uh, I'm an engineer. Uh, I'm not bragging, but I'm a pretty smart guy. I hear you all the time. Tozer this, Tozer this, Tozer this. Look, I got it. I bought it. I read it. I don't have a clue of what that guy's saying. Could you... Could you sort of write something for us regular people? Because he does write in sort of this theological, uh, you know, which is, you know, part of, I tell people sometimes, I think my, God made me just smart enough and gave me just enough training to read really godly, really smart people and translate it for all of us regular people. And so I realized um, what I really wanted to do was write Tozer and J.I. Packer for dummies. And, And I say that sort of tongue in cheek. But what I wanted to do was not just write on the attributes of God. I wanted to put in those cards. And I wanted to show people how to take the attributes of God and pair it with the lies that you believe and renew your mind in a way where God, you would actually, I believe God is holy. And you know, when, I, when you really believe God is holy, it's not about trying not so much hard to sin. I'm afraid to, I don't want to sin. I don't want to break his heart. I, I'm, there's a part of God that we sort of, we've made him this so loving kind, and he is. But, but all of his attributes are simple. And what that means is they're, they're never competing. They're all perfectly. In other words, he's infinitely holy. He's infinitely loving. He's lovingly holy. He's compassionately holy. He's graciously just. And so it, it so did a work in my life. Then so I wrote this book, and originally, we just called it God, How He Longs for You to See Him. And I wrote the book about 10 years ago. And uh, it actually was amazing. It was, I think, sold better than every other book I've ever done, uh, except one. And, but no one could remember the title. And it, it would be the God book. The God as He Longs or something. And I liked the title personally. Because what I thought was, oh, if people knew, this is how God wants you to see Him. 
So uh, I had a chance that I've learned a lot in the last 10 years, and we realized in the world today, the greatest need in the church, the greatest need with, you know, all this stuff and all this evil and, and even big shifts in the church, who is God? And so they let me go through and rewrite whole sections of it, and it's coming out as the real God. And then the subtitle is How He Longs for You to See Him. And uh, so I'm excited, uh, Andrew, for uh, that journey and for people to kind of, well, I sure took a long time telling one story. Sorry. (laughs) That was great. You know, I think, because I think for the the pastors and the leaders that are listening, they've sat in times where they're counseling and they they know what it is to give the truth, like to say, God is, is good. He is wise. You can trust him. All these things. But, but it is that challenge of how do you get people to move from, I know that in my head, yep. to I live it out and I, and I walk in that truth. And so as you've worked with people with, with these beautiful truths, how have you, what are some ways that you've seen people begin to really internalize these truths? It's interesting. At the end of every chapter, because what, what, what happened is first it started with me, and then as a pastor, you know, we, we all know what we do. And so I begin to do this with other people, and they're writing on these cards, and they're doing it. And so I share a story at the end of each chapter of over the last years of how this has happened in other people's lives. And, you know, you, you do have to renew your mind, but it, it really can be a thing where if you can just get people to really identify uh, some lies they believe about God, because, see, everything rises and falls with that. If you have a lie about God, you have a lie about yourself. You have a lie about the future. At the end of the day, the one thing Jesus wants me to do, this is the work of God, what? That you believe on him that he has sent. Well, trust, faith. I mean, the one, what's the only thing he rebuked the disciples for? Oh, you have little faith. So the question that I've come to is, in every situation, every relationship, every struggle, every financial problem, every church problem, every leadership problem, the first question is always, what does it look like to trust God in the situation? Mm. And so what is that? If I don't know who he really is, I can trust a good, holy, all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing God. But if he's just a little God that I got to, you know, hey, if I cry really hard, if I fast for five days, um, if I do this, will you do that? If I'm trying to cut a deal, would you get me out of this? That God doesn't exist. But the real God, when you put faith in him, he responds in powerful ways. So it's, I think it's been a process to do that with people, and it's been sort of each time one-on-one. So what we've done is tried to codify some of that. Uh, so we're developing some curriculum to go with it and give pastors uh, and teachers and counselors uh, some just very practical tools for people to get to know God. Yeah. Is there one of the attributes that has... Like, is that one that you've come back to throughout your life that, that it's like, man, this is the one that I, or. Oh, yes. It's, uh, if you, now, after 21 years, I remember this, mine, my, the copy I had wore out. There's, I, apparently, there's acid in our hands. Hmm. And after 21 years of reading this book, circles of acid begin to eat through my A.W. Tozer book. Wow. Well, I would get it out, and so it started to fall apart. But, I mean, this book's precious to me. <laughs> So I think it was for my birthday um, at year 21, uh, Teresa got me a new one, which is now in my briefcase. If you looked at the chapter on the goodness of God in multicolors, in different season, over different years, you kind of say, 
is there any real value of underlining everything in that chapter? <laughs> and I've never tried to memorize it, but uh, huge portions of it I've put to memory. My most fundamental lie, and, and I think it's a big one for a lot of us, especially pastors that end up in, in helping professions, is if you believe that God is down on you, then you are built into a performance orientation. you got to prove yourself. And if you have a job where the needs are overwhelming and they never end, and you never just, I mean, I've always had this dream of like a job where you're like going at 8.30, and then like at 5 you leave, and you're done. I'd be like, ugh. ugh. I, I mean, now, I, I turn things off, and I put some boundaries and structures, but as a pastor, I mean, you think about the lady who came in and talked about that or the kid who killed himself two weeks ago or the, you know, you're on launching, you know, we're launching a big thing this fall. And so, you know, the flesh, when it kicks in, I forget God is good. And then I think he's down on me. And when I think he's down on me, the old workaholic Chip Ingram clicks in. And, and so um, I, I would have to say I go back over and over and over that chapter. And I would say it's, you know, it really broke me out of, I was a full blown. I mean, if we were doing 12 step program, my name is Chip. I'm a workaholic. I, I mean, 80, 90, it, it was, it was nuts. And I was a high energy person, which sort of was crazy. So that chapter's probably been wow. the most profound. Yeah. Right now we live at a time where, especially like in our country, there seems like there's a lot of people that are anxious they're worried maybe about things that they see going on in the world things that we might see on the news how can this bigger understanding of god kind of help us to not have fear and anxiety and worry these things that we know we're not supposed to have but it's really it doesn't really help to just say hey just turn that off just don't don't worry about it well it, it is but to that one my mind just immediately god is sovereign it's the sovereignty of god that means he's really in control. That doesn't mean I don't have responsibility, and we address that. But there is no hope if you're praying to the man upstairs, have no idea what's coming, have no, no sense that God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, and, and this world is not all there is, and that there really is a heaven, and there is no guarantee that if you do the right things in the right way, that you're going to have this night, wonderful little family, you're going to be upwardly mobile, your church is going to grow, and things are going to turn out right. Go ask the disciples. Okay? I would say, if I really know who God is, then I'm going to move out of the prosperity thinking, and I'm going to find myself in America and around the world in First Peter, where you've been called for this purpose to suffer for his sake. We may see the gospel, which is what we all say is most important, this amazing gospel and story and power of God go forth like never before, but it may go forth at a time with greater pain and difficulty, and I think it'll be how we respond to suffering. The only way that you can really respond to suffering well, to give good when we get evil, which we're commanded to, to overcome evil with good, uh, end of Romans 12, is you reach back and say, that's the picture of God's plan. Why? is almost 30% of the book of Genesis, Joseph. Because the story of Joseph is a sovereign, good God in a fallen, corrupt world takes injustice, betrayal, evil, murder, and false accusation. And in his sovereignty, as you cooperate with him and stay close, 
will bring it about for your good and, you know, at the end of his life. He said, God did this. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So I think even in the church, it's who is God really? And even in our world, in the pluralism, so who is our God? What makes you think your God is better than this God or that God? Or if we want to get real honest, we are on a catechismic collision with who is the God of the Bible and the God of Islam. And there's, there are people that are absolutely committed uh, to the point of killing themselves and killing others, as we're seeing everywhere. Some vague idea of God in the kind of world we're living where you, it may well require our lives, there's no hope unless you know who he really is. Mm, that's good. Talk to the pastor who who's out there and he struggles to really illustrate some of these things. Like, He's read Tozer, and it's kind of this academic exercise, but really struggles in the pulpit to help people understand these things. How can they do do a better job? Wow, you know what? That's a that's a hard question because I I think all of us as pastors, you know, we're kind of gifted in different ways, and you know, I hear some guys and I think, man, that guy just counsels the whole group. He's so good at that, or that guy's so organized. Or I listen to one guy, I think, man, he simplifies everything. Um, applying it is probably my strength. So it's kind of hard to tell people because it's very natural to me, part by personality and part the first probably four or five years I was a Christian. The only people that I heard preach was lay people. I didn't hear any, any pastors. So they are always talking out of their life. And, but, but I think that's the first place to start is, um, you know, we need brilliant academic theologians. I don't ever, I mean, Thank God for Tozer. Thank, thank, thank God for J.I. Packer and, and, and Burkauer and all the others. And, but, you know, I think is to say as a pastor first, how is this working in my life? And to, and to honestly share where it's not, I mean, not like your dirty laundry, but to, if, if the average guy just knew that we as pastors have a hard time believing God's sovereign at times when... You know, you've done all you can to grow this church, love these people, and some guy you've invested 10 years in blows off his wife, cusses you out on the way out, and, and you say to yourself, I've invested 10 years, I, I've loved these people. Well, it's not always, well, you know, you don't just say, oh, Romans eight twenty eight, God's sovereign. So I think telling people your struggle a little bit is helpful. And then I think saying to yourself, what tool could I give them? And make one up. I mean, all those cards for me, it was just, I got to figure a way to get this from my head to my heart. And then I think story is a powerful way is if you can tell a a story and it doesn't always have to be our own of, in other words, what is it? I mean, I've, I've only met her a few times and so I don't want to make it like we're friends or, but I've had a a handful of conversations with Johnny Erickson Tata and, and she really struggles, but I will tell you, she has a perspective on life. And a joy that is almost, it's palpable. It's just hard. And a lot of that is, is it's in the difficulty. And, but that's how she's gotten to know God. But I, but I think we don't have to be a, a quadriplegic. But I think there's windows where we can let people see life is manageable after tragedy. But look, see, you know, she's a mirror. Look, she really believes God's in control. She really believes and, and so those are some ways that I think can be helpful. And honestly, if I was evaluating my answer on a scale of one to 10, I'd give myself about a, a three. <laughs> if I'm listening as a pastor, I'm going, Ingram, 
could you get a little bit more practical than that? That's just a really good question. So, yeah. so guys and gals, go for it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's the those are the times when when this really comes up is when something happens, like a tragedy happens, or when God surprises us yeah. with something that comes to us in our lives. And that's I think that's when this really kicks in for a lot of people. Talk about the the cultivating the habit. So so that this isn't something where it says, hey, when you're when you're struggling or going through a crisis, that's not the time to get out, you know, these truths, but to to set up a rhythm like like you talked about at the beginning. Yeah, I find that I get real clear on who God is and windows. And I'll be honest, in my crises, I pray deeper and harder. Yeah, I dig deeper and I probably read more of Tozer during those times or when, but, but I think we all drift and, and the world and the distractions. And it's like, you know, a picture is crystal clear and you still see the picture, but when your eyes are going bad, it just gets a little bit fuzzy. So for me, what I found was when it gets a little bit fuzzy, then behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and lack of peace and lack of joy begin to follow it. And so I just came to the conclusion, maybe I'm slower than other people. I need to figure a way to sort of uh, just crystallize that. So for me, it was reading these short chapters. And then when I put the verses with them, I put them on some cards. And because I'm so performance oriented, I tried not to memorize them. I just wanted to read them and enjoy them. And as I did, I almost always find myself praying. I'm not trying to pray, okay? But I, as I read them, I just think, wow, I mean, wow. I mean, this morning I happened to look up at Pike's Peak and I'd read a chapter on the self-sufficiency uh, of, of God and that he absolutely does not need me. And then I, I, I dipped into God's goodness. And, and I just thought, and I got some couple big challenges that I'm really facing right now. And those words, God finds holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. And God is good to me, not because I'm good, but it is intrinsic in his nature. So I, I think that point is just some sort of rhythm and whether it's on cards or whether you put something on your phone or um, I'm, uh, there's an app called Adoration. Uh, a good buddy of mine, Greg Diedrich, uh, turned me on to. And, the whole, and, and like A, you, you click it and it'll have like just four verses on his abundant goodness, uh, uh, adoring, he's available, he's faithful. And, mm. you know, and what for me, the practice even in my prayer is to choose gratitude and Thanksgiving is for what God has done. Praise is for who he is. I will praise you. I thank you that you gave me a great wife, that you answered my prayer. I don't know what it is, but for at least some of us, I'm, I'm raising my hand actually in the studio. Praising God just doesn't come naturally to me. Um, I'm not this emotive, oh, euphoric. Oh, I, I have to choose to think about this is what he's really like. And so when I do that and I read those passages, then I, and then as I do, I, you know, then the emotions kind of kick in and I, I have these, you know, experiences with God that I think he wants me to have. I love, I love your passion. Just be, I think it's something that it's one of those things where it's like in all of life, wherever we are, we should always be pressing on to know the Lord and to know him more. As we kind of wrap this, this time, would you pray for our audience you bet. that they would, that they would know him more in the ways mm-hmm. that they need to? Lord, we uh, come before you knowing that we are asking what's most paramount on your mind, your infinite, eternal, all-knowing mind. 
In fact, you said, this is eternal life. A quality of life, a relationship life is to know you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, with the Apostle Paul, we would ask that we could know you deeper, passionately, clearly. Uh, God, that you would open our eyes of our heart and enlighten us. Lord, we would claim your promise that as even we take baby steps to draw near to you, you promise you draw near to us. And so, Lord, I just, I just pray, would you encourage my fellow pastors? Um, I just came through a, a week and a handful of meetings that just the barrage of stuff that everything I've just talked about, I just had to force myself to do. And so, Lord, would you lift up and encourage pastors? Would you help them to choose to make time? And would you show up in a profound way to renew their heart? In Jesus' name, amen. Chip, thank you for that prayer. And thank you for the ministry that you've had and, and the, the thoughts that you share with us. So much wisdom there. And I, I've it's stirred up just a, a passion in me to always be growing in the knowledge of the Lord. It's reminded me of times in my life where, where that's been stronger. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for letting me be. It's always a privilege to get to be with you. And, and just I, uh, I do believe, uh, and I'm really prejudiced, that a pastor's job may be the hardest in the whole world with all these constituents and keeping our priorities in alignment. Thank you guys for what you're doing for pastors. It really matters. Well, thanks again to Chip Ingram for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and consider sending this episode to someone you know that might enjoy listening to it. Also, you can be sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In those show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve this podcast or guests that you'd like to hear us interview, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.